Our God in heaven, we do indeed trust that you are in this place, that you are in our bodies, that your spirit is, is making us um, be more transformed into your likeness as we speak. That all things that are happening in our lives and around us are things that you are using to help us to be formed like you. And so we want to be sensitive to that right now and be mindful of the ways your spirit is ready to move in us today as we hear your word, as we worship together, whether here or on Zoom. In Jesus' name I pray. So we've been reading through Philippians, and right now we're in this section kind of following after Philippians 2, where Paul records that brilliant little hymn, uh, brilliant poem that reflects Jesus' downward descent from the throne of God down to the death on the cross, then exalted to glory at God's right hand, and how that is the self-emptying God, that by his very nature, that is like the core to his being, and he's invited us onto that path to reflect that same kind of self-emptying posture in the world and follow his same path toward resurrection. And so he has a metaphor today that we're going to read from on citizenship that kind of helps share how we reflect and live out that self-emptying life in this culture that is not following that way. And so uh, the point that I want to drive home today is that we are a colony of heaven longing for Jesus to extend his rule through us. So we're in Philippians 3. Verses 17 through 21, if you want to read with me, uh, I have it on the back of that sheet, or you can get out your Bibles or follow on your phones. The Lord knows that you check your Facebook instead, but we're in the scriptures here. Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21, he says, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him. So the thing I want to talk about first is this concept of citizenship. When you think about the fact that we are citizens, I guess we would use that with reference to our country. What does that mean? How might Paul apply that to the fact that we belong in heaven? So he's writing to people in Philippi, which is a little, it's a Roman colony. So Rome, many nations have tried to conquer the world before Rome. But one of the, the things that Rome did was so spectacular is that they conquered the world and kept it conquered. They like kept it belonging to them and helped reflect their culture where they wanted to go. And so pre uh, about 42 BC, uh, Caesar Augustus, who was then, his name was Octavian, he conquered a broader part of the world, including the little city of Philippi. And then he came back to Rome and they had lots of leftover soldiers that were fresh out of war and like war vets. And like, you know, they bring them all their energy and stuff. And he's like, we can't have all these people crowding up Rome. And so he sent them to be a colony where they are Roman citizens, but he sent them to be a colony in Philippi. So they are citizens, but they're further away. And so their job as citizens was to bring, not to go to Rome, it's not like we're gonna go back to Rome now, but to bring Roman culture, Roman values, Roman authority, the Roman way to Philippi. They weren't trying, the citizens of Rome had that responsibility. They have the responsibility to carry Rome's values forward. 
And through that, though, they get rights and protections. They get blessings and benefits. They give a tax exempt status. He gave them land. He, he promises their protection. He says, stay with me and you'll get peace and safety and security. He feeds their desires and their appetites, Caesar does, and makes sure they have all they need to reflect Rome's glory there. And so now Paul's applying that to Christians, that, that logic, that lingo. And the thing is he's writing to Roman patriots who would like to boast about their citizenship in Rome and says, instead, you are citizens of heaven. Now apply that logic, how we understand citizenship, the way I described it, to heaven. Many times the way we think about heaven and imagine even hearing this preach, we think, oh, I don't belong to this crazy broken world. My job is to wait on this broken world to go away and just head off to heaven. But that betrays the kind of metaphor where our job as citizens is not just go to heaven, but to bring heaven here, to reflect the values and virtues and goals of heaven here. Heaven is not just simply where you go when you die as a spirit disembodied and kind of floating around. It's God's space. It's where everything that God wants to happen is happening. It's where God's presence is manifest without any obstacle. It's where nothing that God doesn't want to happen is happening. Only the thing that God wants to happen is happening in heaven. And he's saying, that's what our goal is. That's what we're hungering for. That's what Jesus has made us possible to experience. And so our job is to bring that here as citizens of heaven. And so he kind of shares some markers of that. Citizens of heaven um, are waiting then on Jesus as Lord and Savior. So he's playing with link. We hear Lord and Savior. We really only hear that and think about that in context of Christian theology. But Lord and Savior, we have coins from the first century. Those were uh, titles used to refer to Caesar. And so for a Roman citizen that is, that is away from Rome and functioning as a colony in Philippi, they're trying to bring Roman power there. And if there was to be an issue where they start to lose that battle and Roman power is not going out before them, they would hope and pray and wait for, they would even go to a temple to pray for the Caesar to make a visitation for their Lord and Savior to come visit and make things right in their location where they are now. And as us as citizens of heaven, we too look to the Lord as our source of authority, our source of security, our source of comfort. And as we try to manifest his presence around us, we're longing for him to come and make things right. And so as we encounter a clash to our citizenship in heaven, we respond by awaiting and putting our hope in not ourselves or our own streak, but the authority of Jesus whom we're waiting on to restore us. Let's learn more about the citizenship of heaven. It says that he will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory. And so he's getting to that path that we're on as self-emptying in our self-emptying process of discipleship. Paul's been writing about this for two chapters now, that those who follow Jesus not only believe in him and trust him with their salvation, but it choose to follow his path of self-emptying of detaching from worldly forms of strength and power, of pulling away from worldly sources of comfort and wisdom, of, of, of pulling away from what we can gain and acquire, and instead following Jesus on that journey of humiliation that involves a choice of pain and of difficulty in this present life now, a choice of, of, of pain and, heart, and, and hardship as we attempt to follow Jesus on the way to the cross. But he's, there's a promise here if we look to the end 
that no matter what pain we absorb now, either by virtue of us following Jesus or by virtue of just being a human being in this broken world, the promise is we will then participate in his resurrection. He's going to raise us from the dead and make things right. That is our right as citizens of heaven. So being a citizen doesn't only come with responsibility, but comes with unique rights and privileges. And for us as citizens of heaven, we get the right, the blessing, the gift, the privilege of having our bodies be made whole again. Our bodies that are breaking down be made whole. So this looks forward to the day, not that we can fly off away to heaven where our real citizenship is, but where heaven will come crashing into earth, making all things that are not heavenly and heaven-like become heaven again. Our bodies breaking down will be made whole again. The things that were unjust are going to be restored and made right. Sins are going to be forgiven and purified and dealt with, and we will get to experience the unadulterated presence of Jesus our Savior. And the way that we are promised of that is that we are following Jesus and the power in him rose him from the dead. And we get to just cling to and participate in that power. And so you see, if I could sum up, that being a citizen of heaven has a mind that is driven by spiritual matters that are not easily able to be seen. We're not seeing the resurrected Jesus in the flesh walking around. We're not, we don't always sense and feel this, these spiritual realities that seem too big for us to grasp. It's a mindset not on the now, but on the eternal. Not on what is readily seen and observable, but what we choose to believe based on faith. And that's what makes this so hard. That's why Paul has to write and beg his people again and remind them again to remember their core sense of belonging. Not here in this culture, any culture, Rome, America, anywhere, but in heaven. Our core source of authority. Not anybody else around us who promises us gifts and powers and rights and privileges, but in Jesus. And that our hope is not in what we can gain and acquire right now, but in what we are getting one day when heaven comes crashing forward and making things right. In the meantime, we are a colony away from heaven, waiting and longing for God to bring heaven here. And so we pray that Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in Indianapolis and Pike and your neighborhoods, in your home, in your marriage, in your heart as it is in heaven, longing for heaven to be made known here. It is our privilege and honor, our right and our responsibility. Amen. But because it's invisible, and it's eternal, it looks ahead to the future, it can be really hard to stay motivated to see the world that way now. And so we have these trappings of the opposite way of life here from verses 18 through 20, uh, 18 through 19. I'm clearly going in reverse. I forgot to tell you that at the start. I was so excited about our citizenship that I just went right into it. But that was the plan. That was the plan to start from the bottom and go up. I just didn't tell you that, but we get there. Verses 16 or 18 and 19. It says, For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, and I've often told you of them and now tell you even with tears. Listen how it describes them. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is the sh their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. And so this is the contrast to finding your citizenship in heaven. If we ultimately imagine our belonging to be in heaven, with Jesus and our future to reflect that, and it's an invisible spiritual reality, the, the, 
But the opposite of that is expecting to find a culture of belonging right here. And so you have a difference. Instead of our authority being Jesus, this one outside of us who's making things right, our authority, our God, it says, is the belly. Meaning our appetites and desires become our God, become what we long for. Because we pray the immediate, what's right in front of us. The temptation is to go after what's right in front of us. And our appetites are driving not toward the end goal sometimes, not towards what is not seen, but towards what's readily available. And so we might have those desires and appetites of our core body desires for eating and drinking and sex and all that we can get from that or for approval and longing to be, to be approved by the crowd and to gather friendship and adoration of any cost. And we may betray our citizenship in heaven to get that. Or hunger and long for and let our God be our ambition and desire to acquire as much as we can here in this time on earth. And that is a, in contrast to... Waiting in this, this path of self-emptying that looks toward our heavenly gift. And so we see in our culture, too, this tendency to let our authority, what drives our decision-making, what determines what is right and wrong, what guides our moral behavior to be not Jesus outside of us, but our desires within us. Our culture screams at us, basically, to tell us that what is in you is all right and all pure. And so if you can just go not look outward to Jesus... But look inward to your true self, you will discover who you really are and you should live that out. That is seeing your God, your source of moral and behavioral authority as your desire, your belly, what you long for and want. And we're allowed to have longings and wants, but we are called to filter those through the lens of Jesus. And he's not going to totally abolish any of them, but transform them to reflect what citizenship in heaven looks like. And so there's a tension there between whether or not we will submit and surrender to Jesus, our true authority, or let our desires, our internal longings be our true authority of determining right and wrong. And so the effect of that then is you set your mind on earthly things. This is the temptation that we have is to set your mind not on spiritual things and eternal things, eternal realities that are reflected in our citizenship in heaven, but on things that are immediately seen and visible in the sensory world around us. For money, for power, for material gain and belongings, for the crowd pleasing around us, for social media likes, for career advancement, and let those things consume our minds and our hearts and let that be the thing that we long for that we saint augustine says what we contemplate is what we become what we contemplate is what we become and our temptation if you're like me is to let what we contemplate be determined by what we can see right around us what we feel right around us and let that determine kind of who we are becoming and then he says their glory is in their shame that people that tend to do this, Romans were like this, people in our culture like this, people in every culture all over the place who resist their citizenship in heaven have a tendency not only to, to follow their desire wherever their desires lead, not only to acquire whatever they can in this life, but to boast about it. They glory in what they should be ashamed of. And we see people, this social media is a classic place for this, where you boast about things that we should be ashamed of. Things that, that of letting our desires be, be our guide to determine what we want and who we are becoming. And so their glory is in their shame versus having our glory found in what Jesus thinks of us instead. And he says the end of all this is destruction. 
Because ultimately, the flesh is corruptible. And so I love corruptible as a way to describe this because all those things that we are prone to want to value instead of our citizenship in heaven ultimately decay. The affirmation from people is going to go away. Finding your hope in human relationships, none of those are forever unless they're found in King Jesus. Finding our hope in money, that's going to go away. It's not going to be yours one day. Or in pleasure, which is so fleeting. It feels great for a moment and then it's gone. And you realize that how much you long for it only makes you long for it all the more. And so all that is corruptible. It is decaying. And that freaks us out. And then you, we respond from that fact of it being corruptible and it corrupts our hearts. People that cling to those ways and those forms as their source of hope and their source of security and their source of confidence also end up letting that destroy their soul. And you end up doing what you never thought you'd do because you realize finding your hope in that thing right around you is slipping through your fingertips. So this is the temptation because it's visible, it's seen right around you, it's immediately felt. It's so hard not to make our decision based on that. And I think we have a unique difficulty in our culture where we are bombarded by so much all the time. I think that Mark Sayers, he's a pastor at a church in Australia and also a sociologist and writes some books that kind of social commentary. And he says this about the kind of battle we face instead of our citizenship in heaven. He says, the Western life system has formed us in a particular way that creates people who resist the move of God in subconscious ways. Check this out. He says, the average Westerner, that's us, is a radical individualist who's deeply afraid of compromising their autonomy. He or she determines their self-worth and identity primarily horizontally, not from heaven, but horizontally, via the media, culture, or peers. We are shaped by the passive-aggressive tone of consumerism, where we want maximum say with minimum responsibility. We are shaped primarily by our fluid and ever-shifting feelings. We yearn for community and connection, yet fear commitment and consistency. We wish for justice while desiring hedonistic payoffs. We religiously, here's where they got me right here. Because the whole time up to here, I'm like, man, that's what those people be doing out there. And then he says, we religiously point the finger at others while jealously guarding our own right to do as we please. I'm like, oh, all these factors place us in a spiritually precarious place. He aligns himself in that place too. It's not like he's pointing the finger as well. The whole book's related to the temptations around that and how difficult it is where we are flooded in all directions, both the political right and the political left to find all our hope in being ultimately free free of obligation. There may be disagreements on what we're free from, but there's a a promise of personal autonomy and the expectation that you will find all that you would need if only you had less constraints on you. Less constraints on your money, on your body, on your choices. If you were just given more options and allowed to be who you really want to be, you would find all the meaning you could ever want. And it's killing us. It's not true. It feels appealing, but it is a lie. And we see anxiety and loneliness and depression on the rise. We see meaninglessness on the rise. People are terrified and anxious more than usual. People are depressed even more than usual. And it's because we are following that lead and that temptation of what we are bombarded by 
on social media, on cable news, on internet articles, on how we compare it to people around us, on our bank account and our relationships. And I'm with you. I can feel that anxious feeling. Honestly, this move has been such a blessing in so many ways. And yet I feel the challenge of like, man, things feel unstable. Am I, I can feel my natural reaction wanting to cling to something around me to make me feel stable. Like people, like you all, or the elders, or making sure our house is set, and making sure our money's set, and making sure everything's set. I'm like, this is a false source of permanence. And I can feel when my mind goes there, that it just decays and goes down into this anxious dump. And it's like, that is not reality. What is reality is that Jesus has become king, and he has granted me the privilege and opportunity to become a citizen in heaven, and he's made everything right. It does not matter what could happen. It doesn't matter what could happen to this church or to our bodies or to my family whom I love or to our culture. It doesn't matter what happens with the coronavirus. God is going to make it all right. He's going to rope it all in. And so there's no reason to be fearful or anxious or concerned. And yet, it's hard for us to believe that. And it's hard for Paul's audience too, which is why. That's what I want to get to this this top piece here is how much he's emphasizing what and who they are paying attention to. He turns into family language. He's closing the end of his letter. He's like, brothers and sisters, we don't realize how revolutionary it is for him as a Jewish person to talk to primarily Gentiles across racial and ethnic and socioeconomic status and using family language to describe them. This family is made possible by the fact that Jesus has, has been risen from the dead. And he pleads with them, join in imitating me as a citizen of heaven, as a one on the self-emptying journey, as one who clings to the cross, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ because they live acquiring all they can in this life now as opposed to releasing it out of trust in the Lord. And he says this, I have often told you of them. This is where I feel now. A constant warning. I've often told you of them, and even now I tell you in tears. Because the temptation is so high to forget what we have in Jesus because it feels abstract and distant and not real. And so I was so challenged by the chapter we read in the Keller book on prayer this week for many of you that are reading that basically all the blessings and gifts we have in Jesus are ultimately abstract. It's like huge things related to grace and forgiveness. We can't see or touch them. And so prayer, going to Jesus in prayer is our way to kind of access them and trust in them reflect our submission to and our trust in those blessings that we have. But the temptation is to not do that and to get sucked into what we are producing and consuming and becoming right around us by what is immediately seen and observable and censored and felt. And so he pleads with them in tears and warns them again, please don't forget who you are and whose you are. You are a citizen in heaven. Jesus has wiped away your sin. He's taken care of everything that could ever harm you in the past. He's, he was conquered death, and so he's taken care of everything that could ever harm you in the future. He's made all things okay on a fundamental level. He is good, and you are safe with him. You need not look to your appetites or your ambitions or a need for approval or to money or to sex or to power to gain anything else because you have all you need in Jesus. And he pleads with them in tears. And so I found myself pleading with myself in tears even this week and longing to plead to you as well to say, don't look at the things that are really seen and around us for our hope. It will decay and corrupt us on the way. 
but instead we wait and long for Jesus to make things right. And we exert that ourselves with that prayer, come Lord Jesus, seeking after his presence, knowing that one day his presence will come full-blown, crashing into our bodies and into this world to bring us back to life, to bring his presence fully and unadulterated without any more things that are bringing us harm. And so for the moment now, life right now may feel like suffering as we follow Christ on the cross, but in the end we are promised resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that it is so easy to try to find our sense of security, of belonging, of rights, of privileges, of needs, of wants, from meeting our desires right around us. We can be overwhelmed by the victory of your cross and resurrection by the realities of heaven that seem distant and far off and hard to be attainable and hard to grab hold of. And so we long for you to make it real in our hearts. We long for you to help us to choose to seek your presence and people that are also seeking your presence, that you may start renewal and revival in our hearts and our spirits in this community, in this place. Help us to represent you well in this colony of heaven as we wait on your return as you make things right. In Jesus' name I pray.